0: nightmares. The id, ego, and superego.
1: The sleepiest town in Moravia. Shattered and manipulated dreams. Welcome to the subconscious. Welcome Welcome
0: to to the the progcast. What do our dreams mean? And do they actually mean anything at all?
1: On our final edition of Spring 2016, we delve into the unknown realms of the mind and we explore how people dream differently in the Czech Republic. I'm Iyar Pulgar.
0: And I'm Morel Malcolm. If you're sitting comfortably, we can begin. If you're sitting, if you're sitting comfortably,
1: we can begin. If you're sitting comfortably, we can begin. Let's start at the beginning with Sigmund Freud, the father of psychoanalysis. Although known throughout the Western world, not a lot of people know Freud was born in what is now the Czech Republic.
0: E.R. and fellow broadcast reporter Alan made the trek to Tribor, the sleepy Moravian town where Freud was born, in 1856. There, they toured his childhood home, got an inside look at the town surrounded by dandelion fields.
1: Freud still dreamed about Tribor in Austria. Freud would always call this little place his hometown. bronze statue of your classic psychologist sofa with little bronze pillows and there's an inscription below sit down and meditate stand up and act
2: and here uh, we are on the second floor of freud's home where he was born in this first room we have various photos of black and white of Klebor and of him and his family um, there are various dandelions Freud's favorite flower that we learned from the video we just watched below. Kind of overlaid over many of these photos. And then in the next room, um, we have a room um, full of just white bookcases and bookshelves um, hosting various books about Freud, as well as a life-size kind of painting of the couch where he famously did many psychotherapies.
1: In the adjacent room to the painting with the couch... We see a small exhibition of Vladimir Jironek's works. He was the Czech Republic's most prominent illustrator, and he did a whole series of little Freudian comics featuring the man himself in various little comical situations that make puns on his theories. Why do you think his theories have endured? Why are we still giving Freud so much attention today?
3: I don't think so that we're giving too much attention to Freud, because uh, lots of psychoanalysis and Psychiatrics, they said as like he started all all the process with the psychology psychiatry, but I'm not sure if it's his work is still taken, like uh, like in I don't know in in twenties of 18th century.
1: And the final room on the second floor of the house shows Freud's influence on the modern day. So you have a small panorama of asteroid 4342 Freud, which was named after him in 1987. At the far end of the room, we have perhaps what is the most interesting aspect of the exhibition, which is several posters of an international art competition called My Dream, and we see a bunch of artwork inspired by Freud, so figures coming out of people's heads, blood gushing, and various suggestive symbols. (laughs) As Alan and I sat in a restaurant taking a break and waiting for our bus back to Prague, we were approached by a local and took the chance to ask him about Freud's legacy in
4: Tríbor. He lived there only for three years, then he moved with family, I think, to Austria, all the education he had was in Austria or Germany. But most of his work was done in a Western, westernized uh, country. People in, in this country, they don't know him well enough because they, they didn't study about him. And uh, the only thing I know, uh, that I'm, uh, when I tell my friends in America, I'm moving here for short time. Only thing uh, I know that uh, uh, that Freud was born over here, and that's about it. Uh, they don't teach about him in the school too much. He's not known as, he's known in the western part of the world.
1: And that was Evo, a resident of Tríbor, talking to Alan. If you happen to be in Moravia, it's a beautiful drive.
0: I've been having the same dream, over and over again, and I can't for the life of me figure out what it means.
1: I know just what you need. Our colleague Amanda Morris went to a Czech psychiatrist last week to have her dreams interpreted.
0: You said you're
5: a counselor in psychology, and I know you take more of a Jungian approach towards psychotherapy, and can you explain more about that and about why dreams are important for understanding ourselves?
3: Yankin psychotherapy uh, works predominantly with unconscious. That's why uh tend to use dreams as a nice way to connect with the unconscious or with
5: the inner soul. I'm just wondering if the patients who do come to you and tell you about their dreams, if there's any common themes to your patients' dreams? I would say what
3: what is usually similar when we start to work with dreams is that people come and, and ask me so... I tell you my dream and what does it mean? And the notion really is that it seems like the dream should have some objective uh, meaning, something which I can find in some dream dictionary or symbols dictionary or something like that. And this is what is like most striking for people or surprising, that the dream always has a meaning only for the dreamer. There is no objective meaning of a dream. You always have to know who was dreaming and under what circumstances.
5: Okay, so would you mind analyzing one of my dreams? Well, we can try. In the dream, I was in my parents' bathroom in my childhood home where I grew up. And I'm in the bathroom and the, the bathtub is filled with water and there's all these snakes in the water. So Every time a snake came after us, we would grab it and we'd throw it in the bathtub and the big snake would eat it. But there was one snake that the big snake would not eat. It was just like... Snake. And I look back and the black snake that my brother had just killed was somehow going after me and it bit my ankle and then I woke up. Mm-hmm. That was my snake
3: dream. <laughs> I can see you're still full of emotions, right? Generally,
5: what does snake mean to you? I think I have mixed feelings about snakes, because I know that they're not bad animals, they're just an animal. But they're definitely kind of scary sometimes.
3: So if you look in the dictionary of symbols, then obviously for a snake you have a couple pages, yeah. They say that for the symbolical explanations of this animal, it's important how it looks like, how it uh, how it is peculiar in in its uh, movement. They are called periodically changing their skin, which is uh, again symbol of reproduction of the new new life and and uh, Change. like yeah. yeah
5: so interesting. Yeah,
3: so many things. And then if you really start to study uh, the symbolic uh, meanings, then the symbols again can uh, give you some inspiration how it could relate to your life. Yeah, yeah so well, it's...
5: maybe we definitely might dream for a reason. Do you yeah, think Yeah, yeah, in, in today's society, what do you think the function is?
3: I see it like when I work with people that it's really, uh, sometimes the function is like uh, to compensate for something, like if you have a very, let's say, specific accountant type of uh, person who then has these vivid, let's say, sexually uh, active dreams, then it's sort of compensation of the life he or she is not living. And she or he can have it in, in, in the dreams, basically. So this would be the uh, compensation. And uh, some of the dreams can be just, uh, like, sub- supportive. But it's like, yeah, it's like when you're uh, cleaning an onion, yeah. You go, uh, basically, uh, bit by bit. Yeah? And every every level is, is useful, yeah. Every level you find some more information and uh, maybe you never get to the... Uh, complete center, but you keep, you keep yeah, <laughs> feeling <yeah>. it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. That was Amanda Morris with a Czech cycle at her office in Prague 1.
1: Morel, what do you think Czech kids dream about?
0: I bet they have vivid dreams. Their imaginations are always running wild.
1: Our reporters Vivian and Kennedy had the chance to hear Czech children share their dreams about the future, both their countries and their own.
3: I'm really into chemistry, so at the moment I would like to help the world. So maybe if I could be in a laboratory, that'd be be fun, yeah.
6: I'm 11 years old, and when I'm going to be bigger, I want to be an actor.
0: Do you think the adults around you still have dreams? I think so, yeah. They might not look as they do, but probably in, in there somewhere
6: is a dream. Uh, I want to be a tap dancer, or um, I want to be president. Rugby player. Football player. a back. Programmer of uh, computer games.
0: Do you have any dreams for the Czech Republic? Um, yeah, probably less graffiti um, and change the president.
1: That was Vivian and Kennedy interviewing Czech kids about their dreams.
0: those kids will ever pursue some of those dreams when they are older? Or are they more likely to just fade away?
1: I'd like to think they will. Growing up, your dreams change. Sometimes they even die. For our next item, Czech photographer Antonin Kratočvil shot some adults experiencing broken dreams that they couldn't pursue before the revolution.
0: Amanda Morris got the chance to speak with him about his dream career. The people he met and the dreams he helped to make into reality.
5: It
4: was a you know, journey illegally across the border from uh, through the mountains of Yugoslavian mountains, uh, Karabanki. I was captured once and sent back, and the next time I managed to get out.
5: Why did you decide to leave?
4: It's very hard to live someplace where they are telling you what to do and what not to do. And I was sort of this kind of a strange, uh, freedom-loving creature, and I had to get out. I was suffocated.
5: But then you later went back, correct? And you photographed the Velvet Revolution and things like that. Can you explain why you went back?
4: I went back, when I became American citizen, I could travel not to Czech Republic, and Czechoslovakia, but to other Eastern European countries, I could travel freely. And so I, I photographed in Poland, Romania, and um, different countries, and also I managed to photograph here, I photographed here to Velvet Revolution. It was fun, I published a book, 20 Years of War in Eastern Europe, Broken Dream, which was very successful with people. It became a point of reference, and that's what you kind of always wish for your work.
5: I know artists don't always like to talk about their work, but can you explain why you called your book that, you know, Broken Dreams of the Eastern Europe?
4: When there was a coup, a communist coup, and when the, the system was changing, people had hopes, you know, about better life, which, of course didn't foresee being such a terror I think it broke their dreams and brings out easily broken
5: sometimes you don't always get what you think you're gonna get
4: so with women and men you never know what you're gonna get
5: this is a more personal question but did you ever feel like you had a broken dream and maybe is that part of the reason you left
4: you know, or I, I thought more about the other people who stayed here I got out, and um, I uh, I fulfilled my dream.
5: What exactly was that dream of yours, or what you achieved?
4: It was it changed by itself. It's one time I didn't dream about anything, just survivor. But I got I got lucky. I think God was on my side. After bumming around a little bit, Western Europe, I uh, managed to enter an art academy and got a scholarship for refugees. So I was lucky. I basically changed my life because I always wanted to study art, but here I was not allowed because of my uh, family. You know, you know how it was here. It was like I was like a family of borja. I didn't have a chance. I think that was very brave of you well, at the time. I don't know if it was brave, but it was it was necessary. I was I was trapped.
5: You said something about how at first you were only dreaming of survival and that's kind of all you were thinking about and you couldn't really think of other goals until you knew that you were safe and that you had freedom I know you photograph lots of different things around the world and maybe some people that don't have as much freedom do you have any stories from those experiences?
4: a lot of times I photograph what I have also lived through so I can I had empathy you know being a refugee being this and that My work resonated with people.
0: Dreams are full of images, and we see them all the time in ads. How do advertisers use our dreams to manipulate us as consumers?
1: Alan and Amelia sat down with Marek Linhart. Associate Creative Director at Ogilvy in Prague, and spoke to him about how advertising toys with all of our dreams to sell us products.
6: What we do is, before we, before we start working, uh, we have a team of strategic planners. And these are the people who, sh- in theory, should be the best at understanding the people's visions and their needs. So they usually do an in-depth analysis of some specific target group. So let's say that... Uh, let's say that you want to sell... Blah, 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 blah. OMO is a good example, yeah, so it's a, it's a detergent. And they think, okay, so we are talking to mums, we are talking to moms of this income level, moms who are around this age, so what are their life's needs, what do they want? Do they want more free time for themselves? Do they want their children to be happy? Do they want their children to be free? Do they want a more harmonious life with their husband? So all communication, at least in my point, start or should start with a really detailed analysis of what the people you are talking to want what are their daily lives and of course what are their dreams and if you if you think about mm-hmm. it advertising in general on many occasions has helped people to define their dreams to define their, their visions and to give them a bit more substance let's say
0: did you have any insight on Czech specifically and like what kind of dreams they would have and how how those dreams may have changed Mm. over time.
6: In the Czech Republic there has always been a massive DIY culture. We always took great pride in the fact that we are very very handy. And this also had to do with the simple fact that during the communist era you couldn't get the simplest products here that were abundant in the Western world. So people in all spheres of human activity, they made uh, like artificial replacements. And it's not just that you made a DIY lawnmower out of an old bike. Uh, even doctors who couldn't get their hands on the latest EKG scanners or, or the latest C D scans and whatnot, they themselves built devices that were much simpler, but basically did the same job.
2: In the Czech Republic specifically, um, when targeting different demographics, like, are there specific like differences that you take into consideration
6: Millennials, everybody's talking about millennials and who they are and what they want and what they need. And I'm no expert there, I'm not a strategic planner. But I know one thing, these people around the, let's say, late teen, early 20 demographic, they are willing to take a much more unstructured and crooked road through your life. And this is also something that might have to do something with our past. Still, for example, the generation of my parents, most of them still have a pretty straightforward image of how their life journey should look like. People who are 20, not at all. They are willing to make mistakes and learn from them. They they are in no rush, I would say. So that, from my personal perspective, that would be one example.
0: Wow, how interesting.
1: That's a wrap for podcast Spring 2016. Thank you all for listening, and a big thank you to our supervisor, Rob Cameron.
0: And thank you to the rest of the PROGCAST team. Kennedy Hill, Leah Levine, Vivian Lee, Angelica Moore.
1: Amanda Morris, Amelia Palmer, Alan Peng, and Kyle Sims. I'm E.R. Pulgar.
0: And I'm Morel Malcolm.
1: Sweet Sweet dreams. dreams.